Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to a special episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. HR doesn't just need to do digital, it needs to be digital. It simply has to. Put another way, HR must become more digital and analytical to deliver greater business value. This episode is a break from our usual format. It features a panel discussion which took place at the recent People Analytics and Future of Work conference in San Francisco. The discussion was titled HR Skills of the Future and How to Develop and features Heather Whiteman, who lectures on people analytics at UC Berkeley, having spent six years previously as global head of people strategy, analytics, learning and operations at GE Digital. RJ Milner, who is a global head of people analytics at Uber and is a previous guest on the show. And Ian Bailey, managing director of My HR Future, who previously held various roles at Cisco around workforce planning, people analytics and talent acquisition operations. And I am the moderator. The topics the panel and I cover are the skills business leaders and CHROs are increasingly needing from their HR professionals. We talk about the evolution in learning and how it's been delivered to HR. We talk about ways to help HR professionals feel more comfortable and confident having data-driven conversations. And we also look at how HR professionals can strike a balance in developing both soft and hard skills. This episode is a must-listen for CHROs, Chief Learning Officers, Heads of Organisational Design, those working in a workforce planning or people analytics role, and indeed anyone interested in the skills HR professionals require now and in the future. A huge thank you goes out to Al Adamson and the team at Pafau for allowing us to create this podcast from the panel discussion. People Analytics and the Future of Work, which is affectionately known as Pafau, is a conference taking place in four cities in 2020, San Francisco, Sydney, London on the 29th to 30th of April, and New York on the 17th to 18th of November. I'll be co-chairing the conference with Al. If you'd like to come along and find out more, please head over to pafau.net. That's P-A-F-O-W.net. Now let's head over to the panel discussion. I hope you enjoy it. Um, what we're going to talk about is HR skills of the future and how to develop them. Um, in our work at Insight 222, we're working with people analytics leaders uh, in North America and in Europe. And I would say probably the most common thing that they ask us about and challenge that they talk about is upskilling the rest of HR to be more data-driven and more digital. Um, so it'll be interesting when we, when we talk through the panel now um, whether those skills come up, I think. I have a sense that they might. Um, we've got a great panel here. We've got three people who have all been practitioners, leaders uh, within big organizations at different times, but they're now all doing something different. Uh, so RJ Milner, who is on the far right, is the global head of people analytics at Uber uh, and previously held similar roles at McKesson and Chevron. Um, and the first thing that struck me when I met RJ is the amount of work that he put in into developing a community of practice at Chevron. Uh, which he then did at at McKesson as well, all to try and help people both within the people analytics field and adjacent to it to actually become more familiar and and, and more literate with with, with this. So lots of stuff from from RJ. Heather Whiteman, um, who is now senior lecturer at UC Berkeley, she teaches a course in people analytics, and we will definitely ask you about that. Uh, And previous to that, Heather um, was head of people analytics, head of people strategy, and a number of other stuff at GE Digital, um, and when she went to GE Digital, there were 200 people. And by the time you left, there were 26,000. So, and you did it mostly on your own from a people analytics perspective for a long time. 
Um, and then Ian Bailey, my colleague at Insight 222, but he's also the creator uh, and leader of the MyHR Future platform. And previously at Cisco, uh, where again, you had a variety of roles around people planning, talent acquisition operations, but also helped develop a tool within Cisco uh, to help career pathing uh, and HR professionals to develop the skills that Cisco needed in the future, but also the wider Cisco population as well. So we've got a great panel here uh, to talk through the skills of the future. So we're going to start. We're going to start with you, Heather, as you've moved into academia, and to get your view with people coming to to, to the courses that you're doing at Berkeley. You know, it'd be great to understand if some of these are people currently in HR. What are the new skills that they're wanting to learn? Yeah, so um, I teach a couple different courses, but one that I've been teaching for a number of years is uh, a course that tends to bring in people from the HR field that are only just now realizing how important people analytics and analytics in HR is. And one thing about the field is um, I make the joke often that a lot of times uh, individuals in HR ended up there specifically because it was one of the few careers that required no data skills whatsoever to get. Uh, and then all of a sudden the world changed around them. And so I'm finding that, especially in the world of HR, we're seeing this awakening to the importance and the need for having data skills. But even more than doing the data itself, it's becoming a data translator. So a lot of what I focus on when I am you know, trying to educate is not just how to do data, but more importantly, even if you're not the one doing data, how do you understand it? How do you apply it? And beyond all that, how do you think critically about turning business problems into a, a question that can be answered and then solved by applying analytical thinking and analytical insights? So much of the skills that we focus on there is how to become that data translator and uh, the person who can connect the power of data with what we know and what we do in HR. That's great. Thanks. And RJ, from looking from the organizations that you work with, I know you've only recently joined Uber. Um, but typically, you know, as a people analytics leader, what are the skills that you found was a, almost a barrier to, to enabling you to be, be more successful um, at Chevron or McKesson in particular? So I think Heather really has it right when we talk about a data translator, a data interpreter. The, um, those kinds of consulting skills of how do we take the insight and then make it understandable and then actionable are, are probably the biggest accelerators. And I think there's some great work from Deloitte and others that talk about that, but also the biggest barriers. So when we think about scaling uh, people analytics and scaling insights across an organization, whether it's a smaller organization or a very large organization, uh, having that data mindset is critical. And the, I think the question then becomes, how do you build a data mindset? So within a people analytics organization, having uh, certainly having the, the deep skills, you know, so the, the, the core analytics skills that are developing the insights are critical, but you need those data translator skills to bring it out to the business. But it's not a one-way street. You know, on the other side, in our HR business partner community, certainly on the business side, we also need the analytical thinking skills. So some of the work that we did uh, in past organizations and we continue to do now are building those analytical thinking skills, whether it's among HR business partners or large HR community. And you can think about that in terms of a business mindset, but also a data mindset. And one of the things that I often talk about with, with HR peers is that we don't want business partners to be uh, analysts. Right? So I don't, I don't want people running structural equation models and doing that kind of thing in the field. What I do really want is a strong base of analytical thinking. So uh, what's the problem? Clearly identifying the problem statement, breaking it down in terms of root cause, 
Uh, and then coming to the team with a clear understanding of, well, I, I think this is the problem. I think this might be what's driving it. Here's some data sources I'd like to explore. And it creates a much stronger partnership between the analytics teams, the HR teams, whether it's COEs or, or HR business partners and, and the business leaders in the field, and also allows us to interpret the insights much more quickly. And so you mentioned COEs, David. Uh, when we think about building COEs or communities of practice, really building the analytical thinking skills in the HR community, not just the hardcore analyst skills. And I think that can be a challenge in some of the press that we see. It's that everyone in HR suddenly needs to become a data scientist. And as you said, that's not the case. They just need to be able to interpret and, as you said, do the framing the business problems and developing the hypothesis that the analytics teams can then go away and, and investigate and prioritizing the most important things, of course, as well. Absolutely. Okay. And Ian, slightly wider than people analytics, obviously, we did some work last year at My HR Future, and we actually did a study of HR professionals around the skills that they wanted to learn. And it'd be great if you'd walk through some of those. Yeah, so we ran some research just over a year ago um, where we went out and said, well, what, what did HR professionals feel like the skills they, they wanted to learn? Um, where did they feel they had the biggest knowledge gaps when you think about traditionally where HR has come from and where aspirationally they wanted to get to? And we saw there were six skills that, that came out um, as the priorities. Uh, people analytics, not surprisingly, was, was one. Um, but we also saw topics like strategic workforce planning, digital HR and HR technology and design thinking in HR come out as really high on the list as, as ones they wanted to learn. But then also we saw some softer skills like consulting and influencing and stakeholder management come out as well. And I think picking up on what you've both just said, that was really reassuring to me because I think whilst, you know, there are newer skills and, and analytics historically has not been part of the core kind of skill set, um, there are newer skills that, that people need to learn and, and we need to kind of confront the way that every organization is becoming more digital. But to do that, you need to influence, you need to persuade, you need to be able to really drive change um, and you need to build credibility. You know, if you're going to get success with your people analytics project or if you're going to get budget for that cool new tool from next door that you want to implement, then you need to be able to really kind of build that influence and, and build credibility and, and get that through the line with all of those stakeholders. And we're seeing now that there's, there's more stakeholders than ever to, to manage as well. And so it's been an interesting journey on understanding that blend of skills that I think are going to be really critical for HR in the future. And these skills, of course, are very different, as I think all of you have alluded to, to what we've traditionally hired for in HR. So what are some of the blockers that actually prevent some of our colleagues, particularly HR business partners, to acquire these new skills easily? Um, Ian, maybe you, you went last time. I'll let you go first this time. <laughs> well, I'll, go, I'll go one and then I'll, I'll hand over. So, so one thing that we're hearing a lot of as well is, sure, there's a, there's a piece around capability, right? So there are new skills and there is new knowledge that people want to acquire. But with that, also the topic of, of confidence, I think, uh, is really important. And then also a theme of, of culture. And so how do you drive a culture within an organization where it's more data-driven or digital? You know, how do you shift that? And that starts at the absolute top, right? If you're not seeing that being set by the senior leaders, then really you're not going to see that, that change come through. You're not going to see people start to decide that they want to learn the new skills and to change. Um, but then allowing people to make mistakes, allowing people to actually practice these new skills and, and build that confidence as well, I think is really important. Right? It's not just about taking a training course and you're done. Right, You need to then apply those learnings and you need to practice that time and time again to get the confidence 
to actually have a data-driven conversation with a senior leader, for example. And I think that's a really critical piece as well. And so I see those as a, a couple of the blockers that people need to overcome. And RJ, as well, any other additional blockers you've seen? And also then, what is the responsibility of the people analytics team itself to help their colleagues in HR to to, to acquire some of these skills? It's a a great follow-up question, because I think sometimes we overlook our own responsibility in in helping. So uh, there are two things. Uh, Building off what you said, I think there is a palpable anxiety among many of us in HR about taking on that data-driven responsibility. And it's understandable. So uh, people that have not relied on that skill set before, that have not built that skill set before and have relied very successfully on a different set of skills, asking them to pivot and pivot hard to something different is naturally uncomfortable. And I think we need to be empathetic towards that. Uh, So that's probably one blocker is that we're asking people to move very rapidly to something that might be very unfamiliar. And Heather, to your point, something that they may have very purposefully selected a career not to do. Um, and that's hard. Let's just acknowledge that. Uh, the, the second, I think, very fundamentally is that we might be asking ourselves in, as an HR function the wrong question, uh, or, or we might kind of be framing the way we add value incorrectly. And so you know, if we think of ourselves in, at different times as uh, being the provider of, of information uh, or saying, you know, my, my job is to think through what the span of control is or to provide this information back to my business leader. I think we're framing the way we add value to the business um, in, in the wrong way. And we're looking at the value we provide in, in a very small way compared to what it really is. If we look at the value we provide as uh, helping understand how the business delivers a value through our people. So how are we actually executing business strategy through our workforce, and that's the role of HR, and that's the role of the HR business partner, uh, then being data-driven, having that business acumen and data acumen, uh, having the consultant mindset, the change mindset, the talent mindset, those things surface very, very differently. And it's a different conversation, and it's a different way of approaching HR. So the and so those are the two barriers, I would say, uh, David, to your question. What role do we play? Well, I think people analytics can play a a very powerful role in addressing both of those barriers. So first off, the very real barrier of anxiety and fear, well, let's help take that away, right? So that can be done certainly by helping carry some of the burden, but not all of it. Uh, So people analytics functions exist to do some of the work. We also can exist uh, to help uh, lift the developmental burden as well. So you mentioned communities of practice uh, that I've had the pleasure of, of developing in some other organizations. How do we help the rest of the organization understand what a data mindset looks like? Uh, what is data-driven HR, which so many organizations, many of which are, are here, have done so, so very well? Uh, what does that look like? And whether that's training or whether that's simply setting a North Star and a guidepost, we can play a role in that. Uh, uh, the other piece is helping uh, uh, really walk through what good looks like from a consultative standpoint. So being side by side with our HR, HR business partners or HR colleagues uh, and help, help do that consulting work. And I think that, help, that helps reframe the conversation around how do we add value through data in HR. Thank you, RJ. And, and Heather, similar, if there's any blockers left. Um, but also thinking back to your time at GE Digital, obviously you were scaling that organization quite quickly. Did you actually start to hire for some of these skills in the general HR population to support support the growth? 
Yeah. Um, so it's funny because I'm sitting in a, a room where uh, if I look to my left, uh, I can actually see where, you know, sometimes you go into people analytics and you're sort of on your own and you're trying pretty hard to bring others along. But then if you can bring in individuals, so uh, there's a gentleman named Chris, raise your hand, please. Um, so Chris is here today, now a, you know, full card carrying member of the people analytics community, in my opinion, but he was really part of another team who saw the power and the, uh, had the interest and the energy to want to be part of the power of people analytics. And so then individuals like others sitting at the table with Misael, we were able to build a, you know, talent approach using analytics and then bring others into that journey and let them be part of it. And then um, I would say that, you know, Chris actually had better numbers than we did on some of our own initiatives that we were running out. Uh, and that's because uh, it's about really bringing other people in, allowing them to be part of the community. And to the comment about barriers of what we can all do, um, I think we're all pretty awesome in the people analytics community, but sometimes we treat it as if it's its own thing. Uh, and that can be a little bit uh, too... Uh, uh, exclusionary to others when really we should be welcoming in the broader all to be part of utilizing analytics, whether they might be uh, calling themselves a people analytics professional or not. And I think that can go really far in helping the HR skills come up. And that applies to things like technology um, and other areas is uh, really being inclusive as to who we include in that along with us. So staying with you, Heather, mm -hmm. so sort of moved now to, to how people learn and what people can learn. So looking at the courses that you run at, at Barclay, what are sort of some of the skills that you're, you're training or helping people to develop? Yeah, so um, some training. In fact, I actually was just working on one with my HR future in the academy. Uh, it's gonna, I'm going to say two things that disagree with each other. So one, um, most of the time, I'm trying to train people not to be data scientists or even really advanced uh, people analysts. I'm trying to teach them how to think like a data-minded person. If you have more advanced skills, fantastic. But if you don't, that doesn't mean you can't leverage them, you can't use tools in other people. And then in the exact same breath, I will also highly recommend that anyone in the HR function, whether people analytics or not, you should be growing some of the more basic data skills. Like I genuinely believe, and this is where the like my um, HR Future Academy comes in, every HR person who needs to be data-minded should know basic statistics. Do you need to be able to like calculate everything? No, but when somebody else brings you analysis, don't you want to be able to critically evaluate it so you don't just have to accept their word as to whether it's not it's right? You can actually check it out and test it. So I think people need to learn. And, um, and the reason I bring those up is you do learn by hands-on. So you do need to play with something like stats so that then when you get there, you've had some hands-on learning to actually get there and do it. Thanks. And Ian, obviously, the way people learn is changing. And I know that was part of the research that you did as well. <laughs> Um, you know, so, you know, there you can learn stuff in a classroom, which is great. Um, but you can also learn on a more continuous basis as well. So it's been interesting your viewpoint and the different ways that, that people yeah. want to learn nowadays. Yeah, and we, we wanted to understand that better with the research. And, and I'm a huge fan of continuous learning. I feel like that's, that's kind of how I learn. We're all learning here today. You're learning when you're scrolling your Twitter feed. You're learning by listening to your exceptional podcast. Uh, you're learning by doing many of these things. And so... I think that's exactly how we do learn, right? I think sometimes we need an intense burst of learning, and that might be classroom-based. It might be a formal you know, university certificate kind of 
thing. It could be a short video. It could be a long video. It, you know, it could be any of these different things. And then ultimately we learn on the job, right? We put those, that information that we acquire into practice. And then maybe we can read a great article that gives us some more depth, some a case study on how a company has also gone and done that, you know, and then we have a conversation with a peer and we pick up on that. And so I think this just fact that we're just going to have to be learning from now on forever and acquiring new skills is just the new reality. Mm-hmm. And how we do that is very different, you know, for each individual. But what we learned from the research was just how complex that has become and how people are learning from blogs, from social media, from YouTube, from all these different sources. And, you know, that's something that I think is just going to be more and more the norm now that we just learn in so many different ways. And if we can, we should learn a little something every single day. And of course, technology is supporting that as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, it doesn't really matter kind of what your preference is. You're just getting bombarded with that information now. And so it's how do you find really the best sources of of that information for you and and acquire that in that way. And technology is a huge enabler for that. And obviously, many of the different platforms that are out there to support that now that companies are rolling out is is helping with that too. So so RJ, following on from that, you know, if if your colleagues that you're working with Uber in the learning department, what sort of challenges is this giving them in terms of actually putting learning and you could refer to obviously Chevron and McKesson as well. You know, what sort of challenges is this given around HR for HR learning? So I think there, there are several that we probably all share as a community. The challenges of speed and scale seem to be fairly common, of providing the, the right learning kind of at speed uh, when people need it. So that's where can, topics of micro-learning come up, of not having, uh, not that there's not a place for courses, which there certainly are. I've got to be careful. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, but the balancing the the great kind of uh, learning that can happen in a classroom environment with peers with just-in-time learning that might be, I need to know this now and I need it in two minutes. Um, providing that quickly, but also providing it at scale. Right? So across a 1,000, 10,000, 50,000 person organization. So that's certainly one type of challenge. Uh, curating that. So understanding kind of what type of learning at what moment for whom and that audiences are different. So, uh, and that's where people analytics can play a great role along with our learning and development departments of understanding who are our employee segments, what's the difference in their needs. So EX plays a huge role in this, along with people analytics and learning development to provide that, for lack of a better term, that Netflix Netflix queue of learning and development that I think you you may have heard about or others talk about as well. Uh, So those are, I think, some of the barriers uh, from from an L&D side. Okay, I'm going to open it up. So if people got questions, start putting their hands up. I was going to ask a very quick fire question to each of you. You've talked about how HR can learn, but I'm going to talk about it for you guys. So starting with you, Heather, what's the one skill that you'd like to learn this year? Uh, I want to really increase my storytelling and data visualization skills to get the impact of what I find out there. Well, I saw you present yesterday and your storytelling was perfect. Thank so. you. I've been working on it. <laughs> Ian? Yeah, so I'm still obsessed with this whole um, memory science topic that we explored in in your podcast a couple of weeks ago. So, um, yeah, just how the brain works, I'm finding fascinating at the moment. So, yeah. And RJ? Change management. So I think a majority of people analytics ends up boiling down to change management one way or another uh, and uh, formal approaches to that. Perfect. You talked a little bit about the personalization of learning. Are we seeing this? And Heather... 
probably for you actually. So you, obviously you're, you're doing a course and it's a bit of both really, isn't it? It's great to go in a classroom because you've got that time and that space to, to learn as well. But almost you've seen some augmentation with, with, with some of the stuff that Ian was talking about perhaps. Yeah, and, and I think actually Ian and I have talked about this before. I mean, I love just in time. I love you know content that's just on your phone and ready. But I do fundamentally believe in some basics and some certain topics do need a formal learning process because uh, I don't think you're going to do just in time like basic statistics so that you can go question something that was given to you. That's something that you need to take a little time out of your, um, you know, put some time to develop so that when it does come up, you can understand what you're being presented with. And I think the analogy I've used in, or example I've used in other times is I am scared of the concept of somebody learning about data privacy just in time. Like that is a scary thought. Please take some time to understand the notions of data privacy and data governance. So there is a place for formal learning so that you can learn it deep, you can learn it well. And then I really think the other more just in time, the bite size, that's where I think you'll find the really engaged, personalized, you know, right amount at your right level at the right time that you're interested in. And that sometimes can even go further because it's so applicable to what you're caring about. So I am a fan of uh, both kind of learning areas. You can, that's brilliantly put. You can almost look at this in three buckets. And there are a million other ways to look at this too, but this is what struck me in the moment, uh, that there's structured learning, right? So that's uh, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, key learning, cultural compliance. There are things that we want to build into a learning curriculum. Um, there's just in time, which might be more tactical. Uh, so I need to do this for this particular um, job I'm doing. And then there's nudging, right? Which might be more moment-based or event-based. Um, you know, I haven't done a one-on-one. Somebody may not have done a one-on-one -on -one in a month with one of their directs uh, and they get a nudge. It's time to do a one-on-one -on -one, and here's how to do a great one-on-one. And so those, if you combine those three buckets together, all of which are going to be data-informed in different ways, the structural learning, that's going to be really informed by what is our culture, where do we want it to go, what kinds of leaders do we want to develop, what are our talent segments, all those things. The tactical, again, data-informed in a different way, and then the, the nudging, data-informed perhaps by passive data collection in a very different way, all those together form a really compelling L&D program. Well, I think it's we're running out, we've run out of time, unfortunately. Yeah. So it's been a fantastic panel, and I think I think we probably all agree that upskilling HR is an important part of creating sustainable capability with people analytics and, and having a more data driven function. So, RJ, Heather, Ian, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this special episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. You can subscribe via your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. If you haven't already, do check out myhrfuture.com for the latest learning and news on the future of HR. And you can also subscribe to the weekly newsletter there too. That's all for this episode, but please make sure you tune in next week when we'll be back for Series 7, where I'll be speaking to Piyush Mather, Global Head of Workforce Analytics, Data Strategy and Governance at Johnson & Johnson on how to set up a people analytics function to deliver value to the business and its workforce. So don't miss that one and I'll see you next time.